0: Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. I'm excited you're here with us for another great episode. This is one I know many of you have been looking forward to for a long time with Dr. Stuart Frost. I'm really excited to bring you this interview. And I know it's going to be a great episode. So thanks for tuning in. As always, if you've got friends who are orthodontists who aren't listening to the podcast, go ahead and send them this episode, share it with them or any other episode that you like so that we can grow the reach of the podcast and get more people tuning in to some of this great information that our guests are providing. I want to talk today a little bit about a couple of upcoming conferences that I think are really exciting, Uh, unfortunately neither of which I'm going to be able to attend, but these are put on by some of my friends, and I think they're going to be wonderful opportunities to meet your fellow orthodontists, to hear some of the speakers that have been on the podcast, and to get a little bit of a different learning environment. So the first one coming up is Dr. Glenn Krieger's Orthopreneur's meeting. That will be held in Dallas, Texas on June 1st through 2nd. So that's coming up very soon. The website for that is op2018.com. I encourage you to check that out. Another one that's coming out, if you're in these Facebook groups, you've seen this one as well. The Mother of Pearls Conference put on by the administrators of the Orthodontic Pearls Facebook group. That's going to be held in Irvine, California, October 19th through 21st go check those guys out as well. Their website is orthodonticpearls.org. I'm sure that both of these meetings are gonna be fantastic. They're gonna be a little bit of a different format. They're gonna be a little bit, I think, more progressive, a little bit more exciting, a little bit more dynamic than perhaps some of the meetings you've been to in the past. So I'm not being compensated in any way to promote those guys, but I think you should go and check them out. We're gonna get into our interview here with Dr. Stuart Frost, but first a quick word from the sponsor of today's episode. This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is sponsored by OrthoChats. As you know, online chat is growing in popularity among patients, more millennials are seeking orthodontic care for their kids, and competition is growing. So getting to patients faster and stopping the shopping process is more important than ever. How many patients have you missed after turning off your phone at five o'clock or before you start answering the phone in the morning? What about the weekend? OrthoChats is the world's leading online chat provider for orthodontic practices. They have a team of in-house smile specialists who provide a warm greeting to every potential patient at all hours of the day, 24-7, 365. With over 300,000 chats of experience, they are experts at collecting information from new patients and getting them connected with your practice. Stop wasting your marketing dollars by sending people to a website that is static and lifeless. Hire OrthoChats today to help capture new patients 24-7. For listeners of the podcast, mention the promo code ELEVATE for $200 off your startup. Learn more at orthochats.com. Today, our guest on the podcast is Dr. Stuart Frost, and although Dr. Frost is perhaps someone who doesn't need much of an introduction in our specialty, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you guys a little bit about him before we bring him on the line. Dr. Frost received his dental degree from the University of the Pacific School of Dentistry and practiced general dentistry for five years before completing a one-year fellowship in TMJ dysfunction and a two-year residency in orthodontics from the University of Rochester. Dr. Frost practices in Mesa, Arizona, He's a highly sought-after speaker, and he really focuses on powering other orthodontists to strengthen their skills, business practices, and patient outcomes. His contributions range from one-on-one consulting, speaking in front of thousands, facilitating in-office courses, podcasts, and YouTube videos, and Dr. Frost is also an associate clinical professor at the University of the Pacific, Arthur A. Dugoni School of Orthodontics. Dr. Frost is passionate about new technology and innovation because of his reputation as a cutting-edge provider. Companies like Ormco, Wave Ortho, Oral4D, and OrthoFi have asked for his help in designing products that improve both the patient and staff experience to further advance the entire orthodontic community. It's my privilege to welcome Dr. Stuart Frost to the podcast. Stu, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast.
1: Lance, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. We just got back from the AAO meeting, and I'm curious, what big takeaways did you go home with after a weekend in Washington, D.C.?
1: Well, I got to tell you, it was exciting. A lot of uh, new, exciting technologies that were happening. And I think the biggest takeaway that I saw happened to be with the uh, clear aligner. If you want to call it a race or whatever you want to call it, but new technologies coming out was impressive. A new scanners that are coming out from Invisalign and others. And I think that that impressed me the most. I think there was some great, t- you know, what was really exciting to me is I saw some of the residents that were, were walking around the booths and had some time to talk to them. And whenever you see the residents with their eyes wide open at their first AAO, it's so exciting. So for me, it was, it was just fun to be a part of something great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely recall that feeling of, of being a resident at the AAO. Tell us a little bit, Stu, about yourself, your your practice situation, and what you keep busy with on a daily basis.
1: You know, I, uh, I practiced general dentistry for five years, went back to school, did a TMJ fellowship for a year at Eastman Dental Center, and then my orthodontics. And for the past 18 years, I've been practicing in Mesa, Arizona. It's been a fun start. I started from scratch in a nice little 2,000-square-foot office. I've had so much fun growing a practice from scratch, starting it myself. And I hung a shingle, and the very first day that I, I showed up back in 2000, I think I had six people ready to ready for consults. So I've been, ever since then, growing a practice, having a great time, being part of a great community. It's been fun. You know, I've, I come from a family of dentists. My father was a general dentist, and he was the inspiration for me going into dental school. And I've got a twin brother who, an identical twin brother, in fact. We went to dental school together and we were, it was so fun we, when we were 13, 14 years old, we'd go down to our father's office and, and watch him work, play in the lab. We caught the lab on fire a couple times, I'm sure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he had one of those belt-driven lab handpieces and we would take that thing and, and make little fun experiments. And that was really the start of my passion for dentistry. So going into dental school with a twin brother, a father who was inspirational, it was just such a easy fit for me to go to to school and and then for me to have a passion for orthodontics and go back to school. It was a it's been a great journey.
0: I know that you're constantly lecturing and you're attending meetings all over the country and and really all over the world. What makes you keep going to all these events and teaching and learning? And what's the best way for orthodontists to get as much as possible out of a meeting or maybe a CE course?
1: Well, yeah, that's a. Uh, I got to tell you, I started. In 2000 from scratch and I started with the Damon system. And back in 2000, you can imagine when Dwight's passive self-ligation bracket came out and there weren't too many users using this system. And so I started right of the way and I started taking pictures and documenting my cases. And Dwight started to ask, Hey, why don't you present one of your cases at a Damon forum? I was at the first Damon forum and it just happened to kind of evolve in about 2006. Bill Dissinger, who I know many of you know, said to me, hey, Wormco was looking for some speakers. Why don't we go talk to him and see about speaking for him? And I thought, uh, I don't know that I want to go down that path, but uh he he talked me into it. So we sat down with Wormco and, you know, Lance, it's interesting. You never go into doing the speaking and, and lecturing with the idea that you're going to, one, make a lot of money or two, this is going to be a full career path. But For me, I did it just because I, I knew that if I went down this path of speaking and trying to help others with their cases, that it would make me sharp as an orthodontist. I'll never forget my first time lecturing at the Bellagio with Alan Bagdon. And I felt like a complete flop. And I I remember coming home and saying, you know, I don't know that this is for me, but for some reason I just kind of stuck that out and just tried to help people. And it's evolved from there. So for almost 12 years going out and and spending some weekends, sometimes it's twenty, twenty plus weekends a year, out on the road speaking and talking to people. And for me, one of the reasons why I do this is I don't I don't do this for ego or to think that I'm any better than anybody else, but invariably at the end of a, a lecture or at the end of the time spending with some orthodontists, a few people will come up to me and just thank me. And that heartfelt thanks saying, Hey, thank you for all you do for for us or to help raise our our level of finishes or helping our practices. It means a lot to us. And, and that gratitude that people share or an email or a text afterwards sharing that idea of, hey, thank you for doing this. It made a difference for me. That's kind of what drives me. And it wasn't till a, about two or three years ago, maybe three years ago, I realized, Lance, that This, really, this lecturing or going around the world really wasn't about me. You know, too many times lecturers or or speakers will think that, you know, I'm there to just show my best cases and I'm there to show people how good I am or to show a great finish. And I realized that when I was standing up there, this wasn't about me. This wasn't about the case I was going to show. It was about the people in the audience and really, truly, I realized that I was there to see if I could help them raise their level of orthodontics to inspire them. I found out some interesting things as I did this and I've done this for the past 12 years. I've realized that I'm the one learning from, from the audience. Every time I speak, somebody shares a pearl. And you can imagine if you go around the world, like I just came back from Croatia and Prague and Saudi Arabia for almost a two week jaunt and, uh, four different lectures came back with some of the coolest pearls and and ideas to put in my practice. So past twelve years, I've been using things that I've learned from other orthodontists. And I feel like I've had a great education. Yeah. Being that I've I've gone around the world and tried to put these things that I've learned in my practice. I think the to answer your second part of this, when we stop learning, Lance, when we stop going to continuing education, when we stop listening to podcasts, or if we don't ever start listening to podcasts, I think that's when we really see a decline in our practices. We see a a decline in our treatment. Uh, We don't progress. And and in fact, we really, we go backwards. So for me, I've made a a lifelong dedication to education. And I think that that's a key to really keep excitement in our practices and and keep us always in the learning.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm excited to get into some of these topics with you here, Stu. Um, You mentioned that you practiced. As a general dentist for five years, and I am sure there is all sorts of, you know, lessons and perspectives you gain from that experience. But I am curious specifically about what you learned about what patients desire from their smile. You know, Stu, in orthodontics, we pretty much tell our mostly adolescent patients what they need. We say, "Here is what you need," or "Here is what I think I can do for you." But doing cosmetic cases in a general practice, I am sure you had to listen closely to really understand what your patients wanted.
1: That's a great point. You know, it's interesting having that education of five years as a general dentist and working with the public directly. When I came out in 1992 and joined my father, he hadn't started doing cosmetic veneers yet. And we had just learned them at UOP in San Francisco and we were doing cosmetic veneers and coming into a practice where it was a healthy practice. And I realized very quickly that the public was hungering. Even back then, they were looking for the cosmetics. They wanted it. And I've realized since I've been an orthodontist, the general dentists really haven't figured out as far as aesthetics are concerned. You know, we as orthodontists, we go into our programs, we're taught head and neck anatomy, we're taught how to treat plan of the face, we're taught supplementrics. And yet we're really, when we come out into practice, I think we forget about what we're really doing with aesthetics and what the patients really want. And that five years was invaluable because I realized that people are willing to invest in their smile, if they have a feeling or if they think that the outcome is going to be spectacular. Right. General dentists really have it down as far as how to diagnose, look at the smile, look at the front teeth, and look at the aesthetics. And so that training was was amazing. I brought that into my career as an orthodontist.
0: Yeah, you can have a good case, like a good orthodontic outcome, and then you can have you know a beautiful case. And to be honest, I agree with you. I don't think that as a specialty. We talk as much about beauty or a beautiful smile, you know, despite the fact that that's what patients want. And you know, I was in a lecture with Tom Pitts and I heard him talk about him wanting his patient to finish with a sexy smile and I thought, boy, there's a word <laughs> that I haven't heard in the orthodontic context for a while. But I thought good for him for realizing, you know, that's really what the patient wants.
1: It's a great point. And I gotta tell you, Lance, I um I've lectured with Tom Pitts for many years and you know everybody that knows Tom loves him to death because he's just like our grandpa who can do no wrong and he has well intentions but he gets it. Yep. He gets cosmetics, he gets the sexiness to the smile and you know I've set off on a on a course in my practice and in my lecturing that talks about, you know, just because you have straight teeth doesn't mean you have a beautiful smile. And we as orthodontists and I think our profession has really kind of lost a little bit of that artistry of orthodontics where we line the teeth up and get a good occlusion and we put the front teeth together but where there's so much more to it and Tom Pitts is one that understands you know that sexiness of the smile that artistry of the smile if you will
0: yeah as an orthodontist when you know when you're thinking about how to approach a case what do you think are the modern diagnostic processes that we have to go through? You know, how do you look at a patient when you're just trying to decide what to treat? What are the main factors you're looking at, you're evaluating when you're trying to figure out how you're going to proceed?
1: That's a great, great question. So when I look at a case, number one, I'm looking at the face. And it's interesting because, you know, we all go through that and we learn in our education, hey, we treat to the face and we talk about it, we hear it, we're into that. But what does that really mean? So for me, Number one is when I talk about treating to the face, it's really treating to the mid face. Number one, what can I do with this case where I can enhance the mid face and especially the upper lip? Now, many of us in our practices today, we have 40, 50, 60% adults that are coming in for treatment. And of those 90% of them are women and they're viewing the ages of 35 and 55 and they're all looking to enhance their mid face. So for me, what I'm looking at, number one, is what can I do with my treatment, with my orthodontics, that can enhance that midface, that upper lip, create a beautiful, well-balanced profile and a beautiful upper lip. The chin is second to me, but it's first that midface. And so that's what I look at when I'm looking at the face. And then from there, I'm looking at the teeth. And, you know, it's so interesting. I talk about this around the world. In Jeddah, when I was speaking, I said to the audience, when you were taught in school, what were you taught? How were you taught to treatment plan your cases as far as the incisors? Was it
0: the upper incisor or the lower incisor? Lower incisor was for sure what we were taught.
1: Yes, Lance, can you believe that? And that's, that was worldwide. That's what's been taught for years and years. And I've, I've tried to figure out why is it that we as a profession were taught to treatment plan to that lower incisor? And there's many things we could go off and talk about here, but I think it goes back to our denture days when we we're making the dentures and we put that lower incisor over basal bone and, and so that transferred over. But for me, Lance, once I look at this smile, it's all about that upper incisor position. I agree. Yeah, I look at the upper incisor next. It's treatment planning to the upper incisor. How much of the incisor shows at rest? How much of the incisor shows upon full smile? Not the posed smile. I think many of us, we need to train our assistants better to get those patients smiling. I call it an authentic smile, where they really smile and and show how much that upper incisor is is showing. And I love what David Sarvers talked to us about is how we want to, really, we want to finish our cases to not necessarily treatment plan our case for the 13-year-old, but maybe the 40-year-old if they're going to age. So I try to put the upper incisor in the best position in all four planes of space, including torque and show 100% of that incisor, maybe even one millimeter of gum tissue at the end of finish so that uh, they age gracefully and have a beautiful smile. So for me, it's the upper lip, it's that upper incisor. What can I do to preserve where that incisor is? I know Tom Pitts calls it smile arc preservation or, or smile arc protection. It basically just means that we're creating a beautiful incisor position. Then treatment planning, to me, goes from the incisor to the arch width that buckle corridor. What can I do to enhance the buckle corridor with teeth, create a wide, upright, posterior segment that looks beautiful? To me, that's more important than smile arc, but smile arc is second. It's that arch width that uh, really enhances the midface, And so that's where the, the mid-face comes into place as far as the arch width. And then, of course, we're bonding our brackets for a good occlusion, and we want to make sure that we have all of that built into our, our treatment planning. So that's how I look at things.
0: I think that's a, that's a great place to start and a great, great answer. When we're thinking about finishing and you, you speak on finishing and we talked a little bit about how we're gonna start the case, but you know when we're looking at how we're gonna end up and where we're gonna finish, what can orthodontists do to really stick the landing? I mean, what's the difference between that good result and a great result as we're kind of moving through the treatment?
1: <laughs> it's a great question. You know, I, um, I make a comment and many of my seminars that I do that before we do anything in our cases, we have to have vision and we have to have vision as to what we want the smile to look like in the end. And I love what Helen Keller said, you know, there's only one thing worse than being blind. It's having sight with no vision. And Lance, I got to tell you number one in finishing is before you ever put a bracket on a tooth, you have to know in your heart and in, in your mind, what that finish looks like and much like an artist that puts a beautiful painting or a sculpture together before the brush ever hits the canvas that artist already has in their mind what the end result looks like so number one we have to know and so that takes us to a really important topic is what do you love about a finished case what do you want and that's where it goes back to that brinciser position the buckle arch width the buckle corridors the smile arc the occlusion and what does that look like and then what do the teeth shapes look like the incisor the embrasures the gingival architecture and everything so vision is number one and we could spend probably an hour talking about this but I want to have vision of what I want that end result to look like and then then I can design where the brackets go according to what that vision looks like. So for me vision is number one number two is bracket placement. I hear this all the time it's so interesting. People will come up to me and say, I can't finish with the Damon system. And I go, oh, okay, what do you mean? And they go, well, the system's just too hard to finish. And I, I go, all right, well, I know I've taught bracket placement and bracket positioning with Tom Pitts. We did this for about five years together at the Damon forums. And so I have a little leg up on because I not only taught it and studied it, you know, I've been practicing it for so many years, but bracket position is number one in finishing." And people think that there's some kind of holy grail to finishing. And everywhere I go, they say, let's talk about finishing. I go, okay, let's talk about bracket position for a minute. (laughs) And I I say this all the time. If you don't put the brackets in the right spot, if you're using the Damon system or using a twin bracket or using whatever, (laughs) you're not going to be a good finisher. And so I laugh when somebody says, I can't finish with the Damon system because really, then they probably can't finish with any system. And I don't say that smugly at all. I, I say that in all, in all honesty, because I really believe after vision, bracket placements, number one, you get the brackets in the right spot, you have smile arc. If you get the brackets in the right spot, you have a good posterior occlusion. And then down the road, it, it goes down to, and for me, torque selection. I know not all systems use, you know, variable torques with their brackets, but I think that one of the things I see a lot of times with patients is they'll say to me, and I ask them what kind of smile they want, and they go, I just want a smile that doesn't have teeth that are kind of flared out. Yeah. And so uh, for me, torque is number three. And then at the very end, you know, this is once the occlusion's lined up, you've got beautiful smile arc. The very end part of your treatment and finishing really goes into um, what do the hard tissue look like? What do the enamel look like? What is the contour of the canines? Does the smile flow from the central incisor to the lateral, from the lateral to the canine? And I say this to my patients all the time. I say, Hey, I'm going to create a beautiful smile for you. That when people look at your smile, there's not one spot or one area that draws their attention. And you think about that for a second, Lance. You, you look at smiles and you go, okay, oh, that cusp is a little pointed or you got a pepper spot between the centrals. And, and so the last part of this designing a smile and creating a beautiful finish really is what are the heart tissue contours look like, how do you get beautiful contours and really the gingival architecture is the very end. Yeah. We take the braces off all the time, Lance. And, you know, we say to the patient, Hey, great job. We bang a drum, we sing a song and pat them on the back. But what I do is I invite them back three weeks after we take the braces off to evaluate the gingival architecture. And if the gingival architecture is off, I offer to the parents to break the laser out, and we do uh, we do lunchtime lasers with Dr. Frost. And <laughs> my lunch hours are consisting of lasers where we fix the architecture of the tissue.
0: Yeah, and I know that you are much more proactive, probably, than most orthodontists about changing these these hard and soft tissues in order to get a really great result. And, you know, you mentioned David Sarver. I think we've all studied that material on smile design, but then I think orthodontists, you know, almost need someone to give them permission to really get in there and make these changes to get these aesthetic results that are beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. When I practiced with my father, I think it was the second month I was in practice back in 1992. I was a general dentist, and and this really, really high flutant lady came in. She was uh, she was a mover and shaker in the community that we lived in, and she asked my dad to do ten veneers on her. She didn't like the shape and the color and size of her teeth, and my dad was like, "Well, I've never never done it, but my son, he's done veneers." <laughs> Can you imagine the pressure that was? <laughs> uh, and so I I prepped her one day. And I did very minimal prep back then. I, I was afraid to get on the enamel. I minimal prepped upper second bite, a second bite, 10 veneers. She came back two weeks later at the time to deliver the veneers. And she she said to my dad, I decided I don't want the veneers. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, sheesh, what am I going to do? I mean, I I have prepped that enamel. You know, she didn't get those veneers. And she came back. I saw her a year later, and I was shocked to see what the enamel looked like. It looked like I'd never prepped her teeth. I learned a huge lesson right there. I know enamel's sacred, and I I would never want to take off too much enamel, but we can reshape teeth and polish them, and the enamel remineralizes and has a beautiful shine to it after time. And so I've learned over the years that we can shape teeth, we can create beautiful contours without harming the enamel or without causing And we got to be careful. I'm not just saying, hey, we got to go out there and hack teeth. I'll never forget my instructor. He was a nathologist up in Rochester. He's my TMJ faculty. And he's a dentist and a nathologist. And he he said, you orthodontists just don't get it. He goes, you put the braces on, you get things lined up, teeth are worn. Now they're in the right spot, but they're worn. And you got to get a burr in there. And you have to hack and grind and get those teeth. In the right position, so the occlusions can get there, and he was not afraid to, he would call it assaulting the enamel <laughs> so i I think that we're we're timid we're shy there's a lot that goes with that lance. I never get on a tooth without getting mother's approval or without talking to a parent or a patient and show them with a the mirror what I'm going to do. I show them I tell them what I can do, and I explain things to them. Education on that is key, but I think there's so much that we can do to really have these beautiful contours. We just need to uh, have the courage to do it.
0: Yeah, there there really is. And for our audience, they should all go on to YouTube and they should Google or type into YouTube your video here. It's Dr. Stuart Frost, Hard Tissue Contouring. I think I've watched this thing like four or five times. Uh <laughs> Awesome. (laughs) This is like this is like my admission of uh, how much I'm kind of stalking you through the Internet. But seriously, I go on and I look at this and it it just helps kind of remind me of what we're capable of doing. And it's a great introduction to this topic for anyone who who wants to look at that. I would encourage them to do that. So, I mean, I think, Stu, when we're talking about excellence, it seems like there has to be, I think, a combination of desire You have to want it. I think you have to care more and you know, hold yourself to that higher standard, but you have to have a system because we can't keep our patients hostage in braces forever just to satisfy our desire for perfection. So, I mean, those two kind of go hand in hand.
1: It's a great point. First of all, let's face it, if you're gonna shoot for those absolutely stunning, gorgeous, beautiful results, sometimes it takes longer. And not just that, but at the end of treatment, who wants to spend... Anywhere from five to ten minutes contouring smoothing the enamel and smoothing and polishing you just got done spending five to ten minutes getting all the the glue off and you've got seven other people lined up and an exam waiting for you and you're like okay you're supposed to sit down and go through this system of burrs and open the embrasures and polish the enamel and then talk to the parents and I mean there it does you have to care more you have to desire to take it to another level and be willing to put the time in to create a system and And one of the things that uh, has happened through the years for me is I I have a system. I use the same burr at the beginning. I switch to the next one for polishing. I use a black polishing point from Reliance. Then I break out the sandpaper discs. Then I break out the little metal discs that gets the embrasures. And there is a system. But when you get efficient at it and you know what you're looking for, again, going back to vision in the beginning, And what you can create, it does go faster and you can get more courage up to do it.
0: You know, Stu, we talked a little bit earlier in the interview about the AAO meeting and how the meeting really reflected this movement in our specialty as a whole towards clear aligner treatment. And I'm curious if you feel like you're able to deliver the same results with clear aligners that you can with your fixed appliance system that you've really honed and dialed in over these years and what your thoughts are on that.
1: I personally... I think the key to the aligner therapy is um I think you can get very close and my hands I'm talking my hands and I know there's way better clinicians at Clear Aligner Therapy than myself. I think that's for me is is probably an area that I need to spend more time on honing my skills, but I think Lance the key to this for me and in my practice cuz I do use aligner therapy in my practice and if a patient comes in and insists on it, I'm going to I'm going to use it and I want to use it well. And I think the key for all of us to understand is it's in the vision and the setup that you have with your aligner therapy. That's really the beautiful (laughs) reason I'm okay with general dentists doing Invisalign because they have no idea how to set these cases up to look beautiful in the end. And invariably, they're going to get frustrated and stop doing it and send them to you or or the patient's going to show up in your practice, but I think that the key to the aligner therapy is just still, it's all in the setup, having vision, what you want the end result to look like. And we're, we have some amazing cases that are turning out with Invisalign now and with the, with the other new clear aligners because of techniques that you're using, the attachments we're using, the education that these amazing docs are, are giving to us from what they've done with their aligner therapy and, and teaching us. So
0: I'm excited about it. I agree. And I think that it is a little bit of a different skill set. But, you know, ultimately, I think coming at it with some of those goals and having the end in mind, like you talked about, I think is going to help us. And of course, obviously, case selection, I think, is always going to be a factor as well. There's going to be some cases where it's going to be better suited for one treatment modality or another. Couldn't agree more. Let's talk a little bit about technology in our practices, and maybe we can start with cone beam CBCT machines. You know, I've heard you say you wouldn't want to practice without a cone beam, and I guess my question would be: You know, why is that? What? How has three D imaging changed the way that you diagnose or treat your patients?
1: Yeah, here's the thing, Lance. So I am a key opinion leader for iCAT. I need to put that out there so that I don't get anything for selling a machine or you know (laughs) talking about it tonight, but. 6 years ago I bought a an Ewu and I uh, realized I'd made a mistake and switched a year later and, and got an iCap. I purchased originally out of the idea that I'm going to be able to look at crazy things like impacted cuspids or other things that might help me in my practice. I you know having that TMJ background I was now able to do corrected tomograms and really look at positions of condyles and so I originally purchased out of diagnosis and treatment planning to enhance my cases and I have realized that that has taken a backseat to what I'm doing with my comb beam now because what we're doing is we have some amazing individuals in the orthodontic profession who are looking at airway and who are setting a great standard. J.C. Quintero, uh, Sean Carlson, John Graham. A lot of these guys were trying to really look at airway and how we can impact our patients. And a few years ago, Anatomage and with the help of of ICAT and some others came up with a way to look at the airway and find the, the minimally constricted airway on a patient. And there's been some papers written, some research done on this airway and what we could look at for kids and adults and say, okay, there's some airway issues. And so over the last three to four years, we've developed some airway protocols in our practice and we've deemed our practice an airway aware practice. And all that means is that every time a patient comes in and hopefully, you know, the young ones, especially the seven-year-olds, when they come into our practice, we, we do an airway. It's not a different scan. It's in the your 300 images that you get on your DICOM file. We get an airway and we can look at and assess very quickly what this child's airway looks like. And basically we use that and those numbers are the minimally constricted airway part. And we look at tonsils, adenoids, and then we just ask simple questions to the parents about the children in their airway. And most of these kids, I mean, in Arizona, a ton of kids are coming in. Their airways are decreased enough where they have the potential for obstructive sleep apnea as a child. And I have this scan with the airway right in front of the mother's face they're looking at it they're like wow what does this mean and I ask simple questions to the mothers hey does your son or daughter snore well yeah yeah they snore I go oh wow no child should ever snore and then I ask other questions do they your child have problems focusing at school yeah in fact we've been to the pediatrician my pediatricians recommending my son or daughter get on ADD medicine and I go oh wow." Does your son or daughter grind? Oh, they grind their teeth all the time. You should hear them in the middle of the night. And then I go, okay, what about bedwetting? Yeah, man, yeah, we have a problem with that. And I go, wow. What we can do is initiate an airway protocol and we can help with these issues. And it has changed my practice. It has grown my practice all because Anatomage and ICAT are innovating using comb to enhance patients' lives. I was in the ICAT booth at the AO, they asked me to be in their booth and help them. And I had a doctor come in and <laughs> many of you know who he is. I'm going to share it just because I love him. And he's a good guy. Glenn Krieger, general dentist for 20 years, goes into ortho a few years ago, starts a practice. He comes in and he goes, he goes, I'm looking at an ICAT. I can't afford it yet. I just started my practice. And I said, Glenn, you say you can't afford it. I say you cannot afford not to have this in your practice. At all costs, you need combi in your practice. It's gone further than diagnosis and treatment planning. It's now going into what we can do to enhance patients' lives, the kids' lives. It's changing. I've got an airway protocol. I had an 11-year-old girl that's wetting her bed and was lethargic. They've been to their pediatrician. For two years, the pediatrician didn't know what to do. and Was telling the mom they're going to put her on you know, ADD medicine, and she comes for an evaluation with me. And I'm like, "Hey, we can do an expander appliance, an RPE with braces. We're going to change your daughter's life." And I kid you not, within six months, she's no bedwetting. She didn't even have to get on the ADD medicine. Her test scores were going up. She's a different person. She's exercising. The pediatrician was just blown away. So when we talk about comb beam today, Hence, I got to tell you, it goes way beyond just diagnosis and treatment planning. It's about airway. It's about enhancing and blessing the lives of our patients.
0: Right, and so it sounds like your protocol then kind of centers around trying to do some expansion. Is there some referrals as well to other people for like tonsils, and adenoids, like you mentioned, or or what are some of the things that you would direct at that problem?
1: One of the great things about um, the scan is we can take the scan. I use beam readers a company that a maxillofacial radiologist will read the scan and they'll make recommendations. Tonsils and adenoids should come out. Orthodontics should be started, RPE with braces. And then what happens is they'll send me a report with all of their findings, with the airway mapped out, and then I can give that report to the parent to take to the ENT. You know, in my area, the ENTs are just, they just think that we orthodontists are crazy and we are just, we think we know better than than them. And they're very reluctant to take tonsils and adenoids out. But when you have a report from beam readers and from a, a maxillofacial radiologist, well, the ENT has a reason to sit up and take note. And uh, I recommend finding somebody in your area that will listen, will look at these reports and your recommendations. Right. It's interesting to me. Once we get somebody on board, they take the tonsils and adenoids out. We do the expander. We do some braces, phase one. These kids return to normal as far as growth patterns, and their airways are bigger. Their lives change. I was talking to a doctor, and I apologize if I'm going on and on here, Lance. but uh, No, this is good stuff. I'm so passionate about this. I was talking to a doctor in the ICAP booth. He said that he had a kid in his practice a couple years ago, and he initiated that airway protocol. The story goes that this little boy was getting ready to be put on growth hormones because he was deficient. He didn't have a big airway. He was small in nature. And the orthodontist told the mother, before you get on growth hormones, let me just have the adenoids and tonsils out. Let me put an expander in, do some braces. And within six months, this young man grew six inches. You know, it, it, it's just changing lives. Pretty, pretty awesome.
0: Let's maybe talk a little bit about, you talked about... Dr. Krieger getting out trying to start a practice. What advice do you have for new residents or new graduates who are trying to get out, they've got big student loans, they're trying to figure out how to establish themselves in practice. You know, they're thinking, Dr. Frost, I don't know what what I should do? Should I invest in all this technology? Should I start a practice? Should I acquire a practice? What do you tell the residents that you teach at the University of Pacific?
1: Yeah, this is this is huge because we, let's face it, the residents coming out of school today, especially if you go to UOP three years or USC for four years, and then you go into a, a USC or a, a UOP ortho, you take out student loans and living expenses, you're looking at anywhere from $700,000 to $900,000 of debt. One resident at UOP a few years ago came out and told me it was $900,000 in debt. And so my heart goes out to the residents that are graduating You know, at this time because that puts a big strain, a mental strain on them. And they immediately think to themselves, well, I can't buy an expensive bracket. I can't buy the best technology. I got to be careful because I've just bought this practice and now I've got student loan debt. I've got practice debt. What do I do? My take on it is this, and I know you have to service your debt loan, and I'm not saying take away from your family and their food on the table and, and so on. However, if you want to grow your practice in a community and you want to be the man or the woman that is providing the best care, providing the best you can for your patients, you know, you need to do everything in your power, I believe, to have the latest and the greatest technology. It's invaluable. I'm having a comb beam today. You know, you're. when I bought four years ago, my next gen was $200,000. You can get And ICAT and I only share the ICAT because I know, you know, it's $150,000, but with discounts and a few other things, you can get that thing down 10 or 15,000 more and you can finance it. They'll give you a financing that will allow you to put six months off while you keep your practice going $2,000 a month and and you can have comb beam. And that's not that expensive. But my opinion is, is that the best technology should be put in your practice as soon as possible without obviously causing a strain in your your family. And I think that the public understands technology. They're looking for technology. They're looking for differences. than we treat, treated our patients 25 years ago. They expect us to have the latest and the greatest. When we do that, I think that that sets us apart from the majority of orthodontists that aren't really using that technology or aren't into it. So... Right. It's a touchy subject, but I still feel like we should do everything we can to get that technology in our practice. Because Lance, what it really comes down to, if we believe in that technology, we're, we're enhancing and blessing the lives of our patients.
0: I think we've covered a lot of ground here, Sue. This has been great. If, you know, there was someone who maybe was in practice for a few years and they came up to you and said, look, I really want to take my clinical skills to the to the next level. Where would you direct them to look to make that leap?
1: You know, Lance, I think the podcasts are fantastic. Anything you can do outside of your practice, obviously go to courses wherever you buy your brackets from courses that you can go and continue education. The Facebook groups that are out there today, you know, you've got all, all these different groups that are, that are fantastic and they just offer so many pearls and help. I think that's a great way for people to be engaged without having to leave their house. You know, there's so many good ones that. That are just making a difference on a daily basis. And I encourage people to share. And Lance, if you share pearls and things that you've learned and the different things that you are learning your practice. And I think that I would say that I would become a part of these groups that people are really trying to make a difference and, and help you. And then of course the, the continuing education. You just can't beat going to courses and learning and growing that way.
0: This has been a great interview. Before we finish, I want to run you through our Elevate Express 8 questions. We'll give you eight rapid-fire questions and get some quick answers for you. Does that sound okay? Awesome. All right, Stu. What's your go-to treatment for full-step class twos?
1: Full-step class two, if the chin's back,
0: uh, herps appliance, advanced sink. What's your standard retention protocol?
1: Upper, two-to-two, two bond braid, lower, fixed, 026 stainless steel spotted mostly at the cuspids. Uh, Clear retainers for the majority of patients just at night over the top of uh, those perms.
0: Great. Who are your role models or
1: mentors? Uh, Number one, Dwight Damon, two, Tom Pitts, and then a host of others, John Graham, Jamie Reynolds, Jeff Kozlowski. These guys uh, just killing it.
0: What is your favorite orthodontic product or instrument?
1: Oh, my goodness. My favorite product is the Positive Positioner from Ormco. It's a posterior bracket holder that's spring-loaded, and it's easy to use and get the brackets in the right spot.
0: Cool. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. What's the best vacation you've ever taken, Stu?
1: Oh, the best vacation. My 50-year-old vacation when I turned 50 down in uh, St. Bart's.
0: Oh, cool. What'd you do down there? I <laughs> sat on the beach and just soaked up the sun. Perfect. Perfect. What's one great book you've read recently?
1: Uh, my favorite book in the world is called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. That's a good one. I've read that.
0: And I love that. My seventh question is, what bracket system you're currently using?
1: I use the Daemon system. I should say, yeah, the latest one is the Q2. Uh, I've had about 200, 250 cases going with the Damon Q2. It's uh, looking pretty awesome.
0: And what is one area of orthodontics that you would like to learn more about in 2018?
1: Ooh, that's a toughie. I think... Uh, I think we have to go back to the clear
0: liner therapy. We're all trying to up our game in that area for sure. So Stu, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your evening with us. This has just been fantastic. I, I just want to thank you for your time.
1: Hey, Lance, what a pleasure. Thanks so much for all you do for our profession. And I, I so hope you know we, I appreciate so much what you can do to bring us all together and be on the same page and really elevate our orthodontics. It's
0: great. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. If people want to get a hold of you, uh, I know you're in some of these Facebook groups. Is that the best way to reach out? Or how, if people have follow-up questions, what's the best way to contact you?
1: Email's pretty easy. My email's frostortho at gmail.com or on Facebook, Instagram at Dr. Stuart Frost.
0: All right. Well, thanks a lot. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much, Lance. Okay, guys, that's another episode. Thanks for tuning in. I want to give a special thanks to Dr. Stuart Frost for spending a little bit of time with us today and also to the sponsor of today's episode, OrthoChats. Check them out at orthochats.com. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.